Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, quick note, there are English and Spanish episodes of Anything for Selena. This is the English one. Si quieres escuchar en español, vuelve al feed y selecciona la versión con el título en español. Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. At 15, in the early 1980s in Houston, writer Russell Contreras was going to a quinceañera or a wedding almost every weekend. And every weekend, Russell faced a decision. When you were invited to a wedding, sometimes they would put on the wedding invitation formal attire or kicker. And what that means is you either go in your suit or you go dressed as a cowboy. You wear a nice shirt, a big buckle, even if it has diamonds and gold, the better, tight jeans, and a cowboy hat. So you have those folks, and then you have people who are dressed up in formal gear, like if you're going to some uh, opera. Russell, though, wasn't much of a cowboy boot or a dress shoe kind of kid. I was more into hip-hop. I just could not get into the kicker scene. I, I think I went wearing boots on one go uh, Texas Day, and I by by midday I called my mother and said, "Please bring me on my Air Jordans. I can't, I can't." <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I hear you. It was on the weekends while his tia dragged him on the dance floor and in between the DJ asking for un fuerte aplauso that Russell first heard Tejano music. We didn't usually call it Tejano music. This was like the late 70s and 80s. We just call it Mexican music because that was our center of what Mexican uh, was. And Tejano was family music. But to be cool, you had to like another kind of music. My friends and I would watch Yoen TV raps to practice dance routines that we wanted to do at Quinceañeras. So we were watching Kid and Play. We were watching Special Ed. We're watching MC Light. But unfortunately, every time we went to a quinceanera, they didn't play this music. They played the Hano over and over again. So we would wasted our time. And I don't know what we're th- <laughs> I don't know what we were thinking that out of the blue, some Tejano DJ was gonna play the music that we liked that we're watching our MTV rap. <laughs> And they would wow all the women with all our moves that we just saw from Kid and Play. 
It never happened. Oh, from out of the past. But as it turns out, Tejano was about to change. Then boom, here comes Selena, wrapping it all up, repackaging it, saying it's time for us to move forward uh, and really take this genre to the next step. Tejano soon escaped reception halls and fairs, then sold out major stadiums, with Selena and her musician family leading the way. She became the queen of Tejano. And I wanted to understand her connection to the genre, her devotion to it. I thought this episode was going to be about that, about how Selena revolutionized an underdog genre. And it is about that. But something unexpected surfaced as I was reporting this episode. A surprising power struggle a fight for visibility between two groups of people who were unnecessarily pit against each other. A clash between the assimilated and those new to this country. I'm Maria Garcia. This is Anything for Selena, a podcast about belonging. Before we talk about how Selena revolutionized Tejano, we need to understand the roots of the genre. And who better to teach us than La Reina herself? I've gotten so many letters from fans inviting me to their schools, so I'd like to invite you to mine. In fact, I'm going to play teacher today. Y'all play the students, okay? In 1994, Selena starred in an educational video for Texas middle schoolers as part of a stay-in-school campaign. She also took the opportunity to talk about something important to her. But today I'm going to teach you something they didn't teach me in school, something I know really, really well, Mexican-American music. We'll begin in Texas. Texas used to be part of Mexico until 1836. That's when newly arrived white settlers and even some Tejanos waged a revolt, in part to make slavery legal. And they won. So Texas became independent. Being Texan or Tejano was a citizenship, its own nationality, for a whole decade until the U.S. annexed the state. Then more Europeans moved in, especially from Germany. The German immigrants brought the accordion, polka, waltz, and other European dance styles, which became popular throughout Mexico and South Texas. The German polka fused with Mexican folk guitar, breeding a new style called conjunto. From the beginning, it was dancing music, jovial, kind of at odds with the violence of those decades. 
As more white ranchers moved in, Mexicans and Tejanos were displaced, their land often stolen. Sometimes they were lynched. It was from this complicated social terrain that Tejano music sprouted. And yet, it thrived, producing virtuosos like Narciso Martinez, still considered one of the best accordion players of all time. Still, the genre was snubbed as a declassé, working-class art form compared to dignified mariachi music with its large string and horn sections. Conjunto was patchy, with sounds borrowed from drastically different groups. In the 40s and 50s, it was influenced by the Cuban bolero, jazz, and also indigenous rhythms like the huapango from southern Mexico. In the 60s and 70s, young Mexican-Americans infused doo-wop and then rock and roll to the Texas sound. Artists like Little Joe, influenced by Chicano soul, transformed Conjunto into Tejano, an amalgamation of all these sounds through decades and cultures distilled into a danceable, of-the-moment Tex-Mex. It swelled in popularity, making its way onto the radio, first mostly on AM. But by the 80s, it finally arrived to the FM frequency. It was around this time that Russ, our young MTV Raps watcher, who we heard from earlier first heard Tejano on the radio. A new station was formed, and a guy named Bolt Corona came on and said, a new station is coming, stay tuned. Okay, everybody ready? Here we go, it's time for the, uh-oh, Bolt Corona show, here we go, come on, it's your amigo. Corona. Corona. So everywhere I go, they're like, Corona. <laughs> you may remember Bo from an earlier episode. He's a DJ who called to confront Howard Stern after Selena died. He's been a DJ since the 80s. First of all, hi, Maria. ¿Cómo estás? Muy bien. How are you? Now, usually, Maria, I'm the one interviewing people. Now, you turn this around on me, and I'm like, what do you mean somebody's interviewing me? No, no, I usually interview all my Tejano artists. And now, Bo grew up I'm in like, El Paso. Okay. He'd tag along with his mom at the market or at church bazaars where they often had live music. And that's where I was like, well, what is this Tejano music? Bo grew up with Tejano, but he started his career at a top 40 station. Then his big break came when that first Tejano station made it to the FM frequency. As soon as they flipped the FM, that station went straight to number one. Everybody in San Antonio was listening to KXTN, Tejano 107.5. And that's where Tejano was just, it was unbelievable. And you start seeing all these artists pop up like Grupo Mas. You start seeing La Fiebre and you start seeing... 
you know, um, David Lee Garcelo Musicales, and the list goes on, and it was just overwhelming. Back in Houston, Russ, the hip-hop-turned-Tejano fan we heard at the beginning, would tune in to these new Tejano stations on FM radio. I have to tell you, as I got, a, I got my first car, I would listen to it in, almost in private. You know, I'm not blasting it out like I would play, say, the Beastie Boys or NWA. Lower the volume and just enjoy it privately. If you listen to them, it sounds really cheesy because they have very cheap Casios that they're playing in music. Uh, so it, it sounds funny. And then boom, here comes Selena. Who's slightly older than me uh, and more in my generation. And she was... You could tell she was integrating some of the musical traditions that I liked, whether it was R&B or hip hop. And it, it immediately I, I felt I felt a kinship with her as opposed to the others. And so what were those details um, that that signaled to you that this was, you know, somebody who was more like in touch with the culture, somebody more like you? But she was more trying to take it more toward the Mexican Madonna type of clothes that were more closer to what women in pop cultural music were wearing. So that was one indicator. And the other is she had a strong voice. I had no problem having a, a tape next to that of, say, Mary J. Blige, because her voice reminded me of some of the R&B singers that I liked. It's true. Black music's influence on Selena can't be overstated. She constantly cited inspiration from artists like Jody Watley and Janet Jackson. And Selena never took formal dance classes, but she'd watch Soul Train for hours to learn dance moves. Her stage presence was heavily informed by Black culture. Selena was emerging from a traditional genre, but with modern swagger and a young, creative band that was hungry to experiment. One of my favorite Selena moments is when she performed Everybody, Everybody by Black Box, dancing to the house song clad in cow print pants and a cow print vest with a black bustier peeking out. And let's look at, for example, Selena's first big studio record with a major label in 1989. The self-titled album has some of my favorite vintage Selena. Like this freestyle jam, which Selena wrote. Then there's perhaps my personal favorite, Sukiyaki a Spanish reimagining of a Japanese pop song. Aquí, 
The idea for Sukiyaki came from Selena's dad, who had a knack for reworking songs into Spanish with son A.B. writing the arrangements. And Selena's emotive, silky vocals bring it all to life. It was on this record that Selena y los Dinos released Besitos and figured out they were really good at cumbias. The sound came to define Selena. The cumbia rhythm had evolved from its Afro-Colombian roots to become a favorite across Latin America. Selena's synthy Tex-Mex cumbia was innovative, distinct, and it resonated. Selena was the queen of Tejano, but her most far-reaching, popular songs were cumbias. She gained fans like my mom, lifetime cumbia devotees. Mom, ¿por qué te gusta la cumbia? Ay, pues es algo que lo aprendí de mi mamá y se lleva dentro. Yo creo, <laughs> sí. Selena y los dinos were labeled as tejano, but they strayed from the genre, or perhaps expanded it, redefined it constantly. Her taste was eclectic. And her music showed it. And as far as other groups, I list, used to listen to Taste of Honey, a um, little bit of rock, ACDC, just different music. I, li- I listen to everything. I don't see the ACDC reflection no, in what, in what in you do music, now. But, I mean, every singer has, has their interests when they're growing up and the things they listen to. And little things that a singer might do or that a musician might play in a song will be later on, come out later on. That's how everybody gets their own sound because you take little bits and you make your own sound. But even after Selena started touring internationally and was on the cusp of American mainstream success, she stayed loyal to Tejano. We'll never leave Tejano music. We, I think it would be uh, kind of sorry for us to turn our back on, on the people that have put us where we are today. Selena had learned Spanish through Tejano. She learned about herself through it. And she wanted others to do the same. And it's great to see younger kids that have kind of strayed away from their roots, you know, the culture of the Musica Tejano or Spanish-speaking, and now are listening to it and starting to speak the language. And it's great because you, you get closer to your roots and your culture and you understand who you are. By 1994, Tejano was considered the fastest-growing Latino genre in the country. It was a success story. This art form with the humblest of origins competing on the world stage. Major record labels had set up shop in San Antonio, projected then to be the Nashville of Tejano. There was buzz, a whole scene. Bo, our San Antonio DJ, remembers it like a golden age. Anywhere that I walked in to San Antonio, I was treated like a rock star. I never paid for a meal. I got in at any club. I got the best seat in the house. 
It was everywhere. It was mainstream. Tejano was on TV. The Johnny Canales show, a Tejano staple, went national on Univision in 1988. The Tejano Music Awards were glitzy and big, attracting major sponsors and tens of thousands of people every year. Bo remembers being backstage. Whoa, wow. You had your makeup artist uh, in every, you know, room. It looked like, you know what? You look around and you go, this is legit and this is the real deal. We are competing with everybody else when we have an award show. At her last Tejano Music Award ceremony, a few weeks before she died, Selena accepted her first prize of the night by doing something she often did. Um, I would like to say thank you. Bienvenidos. She welcomed folks from Mexico. Our brothers, she called them. Selena did that so often, brought Tejanos and Mexicans together. Selena couldn't know it, but these awards were a high point for Tejano music. Soon something would happen that would cause Tejano's rise to come to a crashing halt. And when that happened, it would expose tensions. Tensions that perhaps were already bubbling underneath. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. A gruesome scandal at the nation's most prestigious university shines a light on a macabre and lucrative world of buying and selling human remains. Human body parts taken by a manager at the Harvard Medical School morgue and then sold to customers online. So my first skull is right there on the top shelf. That's my first and my favorite. I'm reporter Ali Jarmani, and this story raises some tough questions. How should we treat the dead? And who gets to decide? There should be some middle ground where we treat deceased tissues differently than we treat old refrigerators. This is Postmortem, the stolen bodies of Harvard, a new season of WBUR's Last Scene. Listen and follow Last Scene wherever you get your podcasts. Selena did for Tejano music what Elvis and the Beatles did for rock and roll. Tejano music. The night that Selena died would change everything for Tejano. That very evening, our Tejano DJ from earlier, Bo, went on a local Houston news show where he said something that seemed like a prophecy. 
disc jockey at Super Tejano 108. Good evening, Bo. Good evening, Marlene. Is there anybody coming behind her? Do you see any other rising star? I mean, you can never replace her, but is there somebody coming up? Selena uh, was one of a kind. Okay. She is numero uno, and she was just far uh, ahead of everybody else. Well, tell me, as we wind this down, was it... One of a kind. Selena was just that. She represented Tejano, but she also transcended it. It's hard to find an artist who does that. She'd made Russ, our young MTV raps watcher from earlier, blast Tejano proudly when he'd once been ashamed of it. But after Selena died, when Russ was in college, he stopped listening to the genre. I noticed that with Selena gone, there was nobody else to fill the void. That next generation hadn't arrived. And so it began to falter. And I think, especially us in college, who, who are the ones that were going to drive, partly drive, because we had disposable income, the new music, we're losing interest. When Russ graduated from college, he went into journalism. One of his first articles he wrote in 1999, four years after her death, was titled Roll Over Selena. It was about Tejano's quickly fading relevance after the Queen's death. Tejano music festivals stopped selling out. There was a stagnation in the genre. Young, English-speaking listeners like Russ, who had migrated to Tejano radio, went back to English stations. But it wasn't just that no other Tejano artist had what Selena had. Tejano shrank in part because of a reason I wasn't expecting. Because people like my family moved to the U.S. You're dealing with the late 90s and the early 2000s. You start seeing more migration because of NAFTA of folks coming from Mexico and redefining our various neighborhoods and redefining our communities. They didn't necessarily were attached to, to the Tejano uh, music and the, or the, the traditions. They had their own. After NAFTA was signed in 1994, wages in Mexico dipped for working-class people, creating an influx of Mexican folks in the U.S. And their sound, the sound of my mom, wasn't necessarily Tejano. It was what's known as regional Mexican. Music like Corridos by Los Tigres del Norte. Regional Mexican is adjacent to Tejano. It flourished with the same German accordion and polka infusion, but south of the border. The differences may sound subtle to some folks, but for me, they're glaring. The singing, for example. Regional Mexican has a very distinct kind of belting with a specific northern Mexican cadence. And regional Mexican wasn't influenced by American art forms like jazz to the level that Tejano was. Regional Mexican also includes brassy banda with heavy horns. And rancheras, ballads more deeply rooted in mariachi with elegant string arrangements. Estoy estacionada en los fracasos y hoy voy a remediar la situación. 
Listening to so much regional Mexican radio growing up really shaped my taste. Like, to this day, I am about the ajua. I listen to this music when my big Mexican self comes out. When I get real Mexa, you know, like when you can tell I'm from Juarez. In the early 90s, the Mexican regional and the Tejano scene overlapped. There were Tejano radio stations and there were Mexican regional radio stations, but they'd play each other's music too. Things would change, though, especially after a law was passed called the Telecommunications Act of 1996. The law would end up being the death knell for Tejano radio. It made it legal for corporations to buy multiple radio stations in cities across the country. Since there were more Mexican people in the U.S. than Tejanos, corporations catered to the bigger market. So big conglomerates standardized stations across the country to a more Mexican regional sound. Tejano stations got killed. Even Bo, San Antonio's rock star, lost his job as Super Tejano was taken over by the Mexican regional program La Nueva Zeta, a station Tejanos didn't connect with. Tejanos were not feeling it. We're like, whoa, 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 what's, what's this Norteño music? Nah, 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 nah. And so the Tejano stations were suffering. Suddenly, Tejanos, who had seen their art form go from disdained to exalted, couldn't hear their songs on their local stations. And the radio itself, with Mexican DJs, sounded different. And it, it was just a different, um, it's hard to say, but it was not, it wasn't inviting. We weren't feeling it all together. It wasn't bilingual, right? I mean, you all broadcast, you all spoke in Spanish and English, right, on the radio. You combine the languages sometimes. Right. The Norteño music was all Spanish and the disc jockeys were all Spanish. So did it feel like they weren't speaking to your community? Exactly. There's still a rich scene of Mexican-American musicians from Texas. Like the hugely successful Intocable. But very few artists identify solely as Tejano musicians anymore. And today, there are no dedicated FM Tejano stations, while Mexican regional stations continue to thrive. The Grammy category Selena won doesn't exist anymore. Her dad talked to me about this. Today, they took the genre of Tejano out of the Grammys and they just give it to regional Mexican, which is Mexican groups. Did that shift from, you know, Tejano to regional Mexican music in the radio, did that intensify tensions or resentment between well, Mexican Americans? Among us, about, um, among the, um, the Texas musicians and, you know, the people that follow that, you know, what's up with that? You know, this is us, this is our culture, this is where, and now they're just treating us like original Mexican radio stations here in, Te in, in San Antonio, Houston, everywhere, here in Corpus. They will not play a Tejano artist, period.
This is hard to hear because my parents are part of that 90s wave of immigration to the U.S., the one that contributed to the changes in radio. My mom listened to the radio stations that the Tejanos didn't understand and maybe didn't like. Those radio stations made life easier for immigrants like my mom. She listened to them to hear people like her, to feel at home. How did something that made my mom feel grounded here work to make Tejanos feel displaced in their own state? The American corporations don't care about cultures. They care about that mighty American dollar. And they know that there's more Mexican people here living in the United States than there is Mexican-Americans. So that's what they're going after. There's money, more, more money. I hate that there's so much tension between newly arrived immigrants and assimilated Latinos. But it doesn't surprise me. I've experienced similar infighting among groups of people that society thinks of as a monolith. I'm Mexicana, like born in Mexico and considered an American Latina. And the most cutting rejection I've faced for my identity has not been from American white people, but from Mexicans, mostly white, middle-class fresas, preppy Mexicans, who hold on to a classist purity of culture. And there have been moments in my life when I've been resentful, because here in the U.S., whether I want it to be or not, pride in being Mexican is a form of resistance, something I have to fight the mainstream to hold on to. So it bothers me when friends in Mexico or new immigrants try to diminish how Mexican I really am without experiencing what it takes to hold on to my roots in the U.S. Then there's the assimilated American Latinos who look down on people like my mom for not speaking English like them or for holding on to her traditions instead of adopting American ones. The worst discrimination my family has faced has been from classist Mexicans or assimilated Latinos. The divisions in this episode come from the same root as the tensions in my own life. Because I know now that the battle between Mexicanos and Tejanos on the radio is what happens when two often ignored groups fight for visibility, for resources in a capitalist world. We're often pitted against one another. But I don't think the story ends here. I don't think Tejano's story ends here. What if we stop measuring Tejano's success or lack of it by how it's performing as a product? What if we didn't talk of its legacy in terms of album sales or radio market share, but instead how it shifted our thinking? It shifted mine. 
It showed me that we could hold on to our traditions while embracing modernity, that we were multifaceted. Selena really was the first crossover artist I saw, someone who felt connected to scenes and cultures that seemed so far away from each other. Seeing Selena at such a young age really showed me that I could contain a wide cultural palette. Like if my identity as a Mexican-American wasn't some limitation, but in fact a lens through which I could appreciate a broad range of art forms. I see it reflected in my favorite playlists. Won't you let me walk you home from school? Because there's room for all sides of me, my ajua and my Texas side. Tejano showed me that if we embraced all parts of ourselves, Mexican mariachi, American pop, the working class accordion, we could create beautiful, resonant art. That we could take something considered lowly and unsophisticated and create something the world could love. Something that still, today, brings so many of us together. On the next episode of Anything for Selena... I'm going to tell you about something that came up again and again when talking to people about what Selena means to them. She was learning how to speak in Spanish, you know, and she, you know, she primarily knew English. So a lot of people can relate to that. And so like they are look, sort of looking down their nose at you for not speaking Spanish or not pronouncing the words correctly. Something that I'm still working towards is um, my Spanish fluency. We'll explore why Selena's journey with Spanish seems so familiar to so many of us. But this story took us to some unexpected places, far away places, even Russia. That's next time on Anything for Selena. If you like this episode, join us for an after party on Instagram Live, where we'll tell you about the making of the episode, chat with special guests, and have a little drink together. Start your weekend with us every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on Instagram. Find us at Selena underscore podcast. Anything for Selena is a co-production of the iLab at WBUR, Boston's NPR news station, and Futuro Studios. 
I'm your host, Maria Garcia. Our producers are Kristen Torres, Antonia Cerejido, and Juan Diego Ramirez, with additional production assistance from Frank Hernandez, Sandra Riaño, and Maria Alexa Cavanaugh. Mixing and sound design by Paul Veitkis. Our editor is Marlon Bishop. Ben Brock Johnson is the executive producer of the iLab and contributed production management and editing. Special thanks to Claudia Sainz, founder of Chulita Vinyl Club. Find out more about Chulita Vinyl Club at chulitavinylclub.com. Iliana Galvez created the artwork for this series. Some original music for this episode was composed by Paul Veitkes. Find out more about anything for Selena on Twitter and Instagram at Selena underscore podcast and at WBUR.org slash anything for Selena.